Hi and welcome to Mastering Agility, a podcast series with and for inspiring agilists. This podcast series is brought to you by agilitymasters.com, providing you with all the agile coaches and scrum masters you need. Today, we'll be talking to Johannes Chateau and Christian Verweis about their book, A Zombie Scrum Survival Guide. What is zombie scrum? It sounds kind of eerie, doesn't it? And what does a zombie look like? Could you treat it? And if so, how? Let's ask him. Johannes, Christian, welcome to this podcast. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Happy to be here. Yeah, pretty good. And thank you for having us on the show. You're welcome. Hey, what we want to talk about today is your book, The Zombie Scrum Survival Guide. It sounds kind of drastic, like like the AMC show, uh, Walking Dead. <laughs> Tell us about why the term zombie scrum came to play. So a long time ago, I uh, just asked Christian if he wanted to collaborate on something. So we weren't sure what it was going to be. And then we we talked a bit about uh, how we could be of benefit to the community and how we could give something that would actually help. Um, and what we what we found while we we're talking was that um, like all the books and at conferences, all the presentations and everything, they were all talking about this kind of agile fairyland. Uh, this idealized version of what it was supposed to be. Um, and and we knew that people were kind of following that and were really getting the hopes up. So whenever some kind of agile transformation started, then people were really happy about it and they were kind of hopeful. Uh, but then what happened was that most of the people that we worked with had a really bad time and had some really bad experiences. Uh, and And what was interesting is that no one really talked about it. So this all happened within organizations and then people within that organization thought, this is just us, like we are failing, um, something isn't working, everybody else is doing so well because I'm just seeing these idealized pictures of what Agile is supposed to be, but that's not what I see in my environment. Um, and so what we talked about was that the liveliness that you would usually get with scrum that we really enjoyed and something we have experienced ourselves that like that close interaction with the customer and the market and really seeing the effect of what you deliver um that's usually lacking in this type of organization that we that we just talked about um and so we we kind of yeah we identify that was really a liveless version of scrum and that's why we were talking about zombie scrum and i think at the time we were reading or at least i was reading a book about zombies <laughs> world war c and i think the walking dead was on and it, it, it was actually for scrum day europe 2015 or 14 i'm not entirely sure but that we decided to do a workshop about something that we thought would be fun but also serious and then zombie scrum as a concept emerged um yeah, and from there this happened. The book happened eventually. <laughs> so I think yeah, so what we so what we didn't really expect was that like how quickly it caught on and how much people liked it because we weren't sure whether it would be like you said drastic or maybe even offensive to some people. But it it kind of caused this relief in people where they were like, oh yeah, that's exactly what it is, and that's us, and that's what it feels like. And the response was just so overwhelmingly positive that we thought, okay, we're just going to keep going with it. 
And I think that's that's also what the book indeed made stand out. Like the most management books and, and the books about Scrum are so theoretical and I idealistic. Uh, they paint the picture perfect scenario, like like most courses do as well. But in practice, like the Scrum Guide itself used to say, um, it's really hard to actually do it. And that kind of playful angle, that's what to me as a reader makes it very lively. Uh, Christian, you mentioned that you've been watching The uh, uh, Walking Dead. If you would have to compare yourself to one of the char characters of The Walking Dead, who would it be and why? <laughs> oh, wow, that's a question. Um, do I still remember all the characters? That's the primary question, of course. We have Darren, and then we have like the, the main character. He's uh, the police officer. What's his name? Again? Rick. Rick. Wow. Well, I, th I think it would be Darren, just a crazy guy, right? You go through everything ruthlessly. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I don't know. Um, I think that there was some, what I, what I like about Rick as a character in the show is that he's sort of like this, he has this idea of where it should be, where humanity should go and that there's still hope or something. I think that that's sort of what actually inspired us to write this book too. Um, obviously, Zombie Scrum is not that severe as what's happening in The Walking Dead, but I think that that would be a character that that's nice. Although I don't want to spoil the series, but I know that it doesn't end well. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'll, yeah, the series didn't end yet, so. Oh, okay. Well, in the comic, it ends badly, I think. And now you spoiled it for me, though. <laughs> I don't know if the the comics are not the same as the. Oh, we're going to find out. I think you're good. Speaking of end, what does this kind of a end picture for you look like in the in the scrum sense? For scrum teams, you mean? Yeah, like what's what's the ideal state that you wanna that you wanna mm. achieve? Well, I can start, and and I'm sure Johannes can add to that. Um, for me, the ideal state, and Johannes already touched on this, is it's not about doing scrum in a perfect way because that's not possible. That's not the goal. The goal is that you can work with a team of professionals, developers, designers, testers, whatever skills you need to create the product together, and then work together with your actual customers, your users, have fun while doing it. Because if you do Scrum and you're working closely with your stakeholders, that is a lot of fun because you're creating value. You see that it's valuable to them. Um, for me, that's the end state. And that's not even super ambitious, if I'm honest, but the reality is that for many organizations, this still is quite ambitious because it's really hard to get those customers close, to actually release something to customers and to have a cross-functional team where people can actually work together on something rather than only staying, remaining stuck in their own specializations. For me, that's the end state. I would be very happy if all Scrum teams on the planet can experience that at least most of the time. Right. I would just like to add that. So in the book, we describe these kind of four dimensions of what healthy Scrum and what zombie Scrum look like. Um, and, but before that, we talk about like when to use Scrum and when not to use Scrum or like what the goal of Scrum is com compared to what most organizations think it is. And what I would like to see is that people and organizations actually have the capacity to distinguish between environments environments in which Scrum is a really good fit and would really help, um, and then making that decision and when they decide to use Scrum, because that's what is going to help them achieve their goals, that they actually realize that they need to do a lot more than just kind of go like, 
okay, these development teams now do their fun iterations, uh, but it's it's a big change. Um, and it's something that most organizations don't realize, but it's worth it if it actually helps you achieve your goals. So it's, you know, um, you can you can use Scrum for something that where it's not really helpful and then you shouldn't really change your whole organization. But if it helps you, uh, if it makes you more successful, then I believe you should go maybe not like all in, but as, as much in as, as you can to actually create the environment in which Scrum can be successful. And then that would, you know, what Christian just said, that is going to happen. And that's kind of what we want to see in there. That's nice that you touch on that, actually, Jonas. Um, that because in the book, we spend quite a lot of time talking about what, what's actually the purpose of Scrum and how does it connect to complex work? And I mean, the truth is, and I've I've had a lot of experiences with that myself as well, is that in many organizations, people use Scrum because it's hip, it's fashionable, everyone's doing it. I actually literally had some people in workshops say, it looks good on your CV to do Scrum. And that was the reason why they liked Scrum. Um, on your resume in English. Um, so so I think that's really important that organizations learn why actually Scrum is a good idea and when it's not a good idea, because there are situations where it's not a good idea. I think that's one of the most um, impactful things you can skip, right? Addressing the problem, the problem that you try to solve and then from that point on identify, okay, this is going to fit. Scrum is not a silver bullet that's going to fix all of your problems. Now, zombies don't walk in on their own. It starts somewhere. Where I mean, most organizations start happily with the idea that Scrum is going to fix our our problems, and teams start really happy and look forward to working with it. Mostly, um, where in your experience or in your surveys does uh, the infection start? I would be. I would love for Christian to add to this. So for me, it's. It starts really early when the organization just kind of gets solidified or we can see certain structures being implemented in organizations. And what I really kind of don't like, I think it's okay to say that, but I really don't like it. That, um, most people don't think in terms of, you know, what's, what's the purpose of organization? What kind of structures and processes and roles do we need in order to serve that? And it, it, is it still accurate? Uh, and maybe something has changed and maybe we need different kinds of environments within an organization, some where we need a lot of stability and security and then other environment or like other uh, sectors within the organization where we need a lot of flexibility and we need to be really close to the market. Um, and w when that doesn't happen, then we usually run into a problem. So either management says we're going to do Scrum or someone on a team level thinks it's a good idea. And then we always find this mismatch in which one part of the organization tries to do is optimize for something and goes in one direction. And then you introduce Scrum, which is really something that you want to create some kind of flexibility or you react quickly and learn quickly. Uh, and the rest of the organization ha just has these structures ingrained into its DNA uh, that make it do something else. Uh, so often we see, for example, that, you know, we see the classical experts working in silos and they're communicating through documentation and contracts in within an organization. And everybody's just making sure that they optimize their work until the next, you know, uh, boundary of the silo, the next contract they have to fulfill instead of looking at the whole 
solution that they're trying to implement. And um, so if you have a structure like that, and then you you integrate something that has a very different aim like Scrum, that's when, when it gets started. So Christian, uh, please add. Yeah, I really like to focus on the sort of the organizational design and the culture that exists, the norms and beliefs that already exist in organizations. I think the core of it is indeed that a lot of organizations are optimized for output, for efficiency, for working as doing as much work as you can and not think about how valuable that work actually is. And if you implement Scrum in, I don't even like the word implement, but I don't have another. <laughs> if you start working with Scrum or working empirically in those environments, because everything is focused on output, you're only going to empirically increase your output. We are going to work faster. People are burning out. No one's talking about goals or why this actually matters in the, in the, in the first place. And I think that that's definitely where zombie scrum starts. Um, and, and from that perspective, it's also easy to understand why a lot of scrum teams are not actually talking to real stakeholders. We talk about this in quite some detail in the book because stakeholders is one of those words that's really abused in, the, in, in many organizations. For many teams, stakeholder is the internal project manager or someone for marketing or maybe even uh, some higher manager in the organization that is not actually using the product themselves or not even paying for it themselves. They're technically not stakeholders. They have an important opinion. You can definitely include it, but your actual stakeholders are the people that are paying for your product or actually using your product. Um, and in organizations that are focused on output, it makes sense that those people are not actually included in the process. It's just like this whole internal exercise. Um, and then you build factory. the wrong things. Yeah. I'm sorry? A big feature factory, just really efficient yeah. machine. Yeah. And I've been part of organizations like that too. I really got tired of it. So I've, I thankfully also had the other experience. Um, and that's a big difference. And what's a big difference? You've been part of a lot of organizations working with, with mechanical scrum, with zombie scrum. What has been the absolute worst example of it uh, that turned into a very lively state again, that worked the zombies out, if you will? Hmm. Is it okay if I start, Johannes, and you add something yep, later? go ahead. Well, the, the, many different examples come to mind, but maybe the most obvious one is an organization that I coached for I think for a year together with a, a, a colleague. And initially it was very top down. So the, it wasn't a very big company. I think they had 100 employees or something. And they, they wanted to start with Scrum. It was very top down. Um, and, and the teams were completely not motivated to work with Scrum because it was not their decision. Um, and on the first couple of days, we actually discovered that the team composition was entirely decided by management. So we try to change their mind and we did it. We did it again and again and again. And eventually they allowed the teams to change the composition after being presented with the, the composition that management came up with. The teams did. Um, and, and the interesting thing was that the dynamics started to change. So even though it wasn't really decided by them to work with Scrum over the, the weeks and months that we helped them, they actually started to see that they had a lot of control. They could change the composition of their team, switch team members with another team. They had a pro each team had their own product owner, their own Scrum master. Um, we were helping them very thoroughly to, to make sure they were doing their accountabilities um, as Scrum master product owner well. That was really starting to work. So 
after a while, you sort of started seeing people come alive again. Um, also in a technical sense, a lot of the developers there hadn't really tried anything new since ye years. I mean, the most junior developer was 20 years employed by the company. So th th there weren't a lot of new people coming in, but once they started working as teams, they started enjoying sort of coming up with new technologies, trying new things, continuous delivery was an important thing for them that they started exploring in those, in those months. So that was for me a good example of where it actually started working again. Johannes? Right, so um, I worked with one company and I, in the book, we, like I mentioned before, we have kind of these four dimensions that we believe that need to be in place in order for you to do Scrum well, um, which is, you know, build what stakeholders need, ship it fast, improve continuously, uh, and self-organize. And that's also kind of the way that I kind of like to use that as a lens or as lenses when working with organizations to see where we might run into trouble. Um, and the teams that I've found, they have been, I don't know, management just told them really weird things about Scrum or what they were going to expect. Um, and again, like very out output focused. And it's like, you know, we we're going to take two people out of your development team and then we'll take another one and turn them into a Scrum Master. But that Scrum Master is going to make you so fast that you still expect it to live more in the end. Uh, and that didn't happen, apparently. I mean, also like a good question is how do you measure that? Um, but so they felt like, the teams weren't fast enough. Um, and like the first things that I did was just gaining people's trust again. So I, in I come as an agile coach, uh, you know, someone who's obviously the devil because the thing that doesn't work and uh, has been really bad for them. And I kind of represent that and I personify that, that thing. Uh, and so I just like, I think the first one or two weeks, I just talked to people and, and listened to them and, uh, listen to their complaints and just went like, yeah, I can, I can understand that. That has been very frustrating. <laughs> and uh, so what we did then after they kind of understood, um, so we got into this conversation about um, how do you even know that it's not working for you? Because then you can kind of abstract, you know, what were your intentions? How, how do you measure that? What is it that uh, Agile or Scrum can actually do? Um, and then, so we actually kind of identified that they, really needed to be in touch with the market and the customers because it was kind of uh, just the, the existence of the organization kind of depended on that. And what we started doing was that, um, so what we kind of go into this in the book as well. You kind of you know, map the value stream, you kind of look into the customer direction and kind of measure the distance. And then you also look, you know, when the teams say they, they're done with a certain uh, increment are they really done or what happens after that and so those were like the two main things that we focused on and uh, what was beautiful to me was that um, people within the organization really demanded a lot from those teams and were always like you promised this and you didn't deliver that and blah 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 and so we just got these people in contact uh, and and kind of identified that they had a shared goal that was always invisible because it was just uh, you know, those, those contracts came in the way, uh, and then they started actually listening to each other and going like, Oh, I didn't know it's actually that 
uh, complicated to develop this software. That's interesting. Um, that's that's good to know. I didn't know that. What can we do? Can we help in any way? And then, yeah, if you could do this, this would really help us. And then they started working together. And then you could see that um, the development teams really understood what it was that they were trying to achieve. Not just like these people told us to deliver that, but it's, you know, the effect uh, on the user and the market that they were trying to get. And they they were kind of starting to wake up to that. And then all the people who had prob- um, had previously been fighting suddenly shared this common goal and really started working together really well. And um, if you see that, like in the beginning, you come in and then it's like, these people don't do this and well, they suck. And then suddenly like, you have people in the reviews and then they really talk about, hey, this is what happened. And we you know, um, these numbers are going up and that's really cool. And let's do this next. And then people get excited. And it's just like this feeling of community and people working together. Like to me, that's that's something that I always try to achieve. And it's really beautiful. Yeah, that sounds incredible indeed. Uh, one of the thing that, uh, things that you mentioned is mapping the value stream. I don't know if, if you share the same vision or the same experience, Um well, what I see a lot in organizations that I work with is that a value stream is very much focused on features and, and uh, features doesn't necessarily say anything about value. It says about a specific output, not, for instance, about an outcome. Now, if you compare that to the positive um, upscaling that you just mentioned, the positive um, dynamics that you would get from turning zombies from around, how would you turn around this in a value stream sense how do you get to a more outcome based value stream for instance so um for me like transparency is always the first step right um and we what we do is we maybe not initially but pretty early we really talk about purpose and goals um and then seeing how the current structure and the current way of working align with what supposedly are the goals. And it usually, like, if you just show people, for example, um, when people say, yeah, we want to use Scrum to deliver faster. And then you talk to everybody. Um, and I actually like to create visual overviews of, of the whole process of the whole value stream and then take, um, take representative work items and from the past and see how they made their way through the system. And so then you have numbers and go like, okay, um, at the moment you say you really want to deliver faster and uh, from idea to the product actually reaching the customer, it takes you one and a half years. How, you know, how, what do you say to that? Like, how does that match? Um, And it's usually not that people you know, they're not stupid or anything. They, they just, they just don't know. And I think, so one of the best things you can do is just to create transparency. Like what is it that you're trying to achieve? What is it that you're doing at the moment? How does that match? And then usually like the improvements just flow from that because people are just like, Oh, that's, you know, that's not acceptable. Um, so what could we do? And then you, if you have a visual overview of the, the various stream, then you can just look at individual sections and go like, what could we do here and what we could do there? And, um, and then usually like, yeah, if people know how to, like they have the purpose and the goals as a frame to look at the value stream, then that really helps. You know, what's interesting about this is that um, it sounds like such an open door, right? <laughs> that you have to have 
Yeah, you have to understand what is the, what is this product that we're building and what isn't the product. Like they're sort of like the opposite. What 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 should this product not be or not become? And uh, I think that you can have a really incredible value stream and still churn out a, a lot of value valueless features that nobody's actually using. I mean, I've I've worked with the Scrum team for a while and. We were in scrum heaven in the sense that we could do all the things we wanted to do, full autonomy, but we never released anything. We actually talk about this in the book. We make some fun of it too. Um, and after a year of sprinting and delivering, delivering between air, uh, quotes, uh, every sprint, we launched the product and the market was not waiting for the product and it fizzled out and we lost a lot of money on that. Um so the whole point is, of course, that you have to be clear on why, what, what actually are we creating and then to deliver small increments to the market to actually test if that's working. And I think that that's the best way to optimize your value stream, but that's very difficult and actually, for something so obvious, right? Yeah, exactly. And actually release to the actual users because you were talking yeah. about uh, earlier about very <laughs> internal focused teams with internal stakeholders uh, between quotes. And that's the same thing, I guess. Um, it is. Yeah, because those internal stakeholders, like the example that I just gave from my own experience, our internal stakeholders were really like, this is going to change the market. This is revolutionary product. Everything will be different. We'll get very rich from this, um, which didn't happen. It was a lot of fun to work on it, though. It was a cool product. And it's but already really cool to have to be in Scrum Heaven, indeed. But being in Scrum Heaven doesn't say that you're actually delivering value. Johannes. Right. So in my experience, what people underestimate is how long it takes and what a huge shift it is in people's perspective. And when you start talking about outcomes and what I kind of, yeah, what I like is that, um, I mean, Scrum, like the purpose of Scrum is really to have a potentially shippable product increment, because that is the thing that actually lets you inspect what kind of outcomes you are creating and if you don't have that like that's the first step that makes it very difficult but then um when you guide people and you ask questions like why are you doing this what do you expect to get out of this and then gently uh, ask more outcome focused questions um I, I don't know about you but people often hate me for a long time uh and and really i, I when i do these workshops then I sometimes have groups where I feel like, oh, okay, they're just going to kick me out any second. But it's um, just we—it's so difficult for people to to get away from this idea of just delivering something and then that's, that's success. You know, like we click ship and then done. You know, that's what else could we do? But um, yeah, getting that outcome focus and also, so for example, in the new Scrum Guide, uh, the product goal, I think that's that's a tool that you can use to get more of that outcome focus i mean um it's going to be difficult because like anything that is being mentioned in a scrum guide people are going to interpret from what they know so far what what they have learned so far so for example the product goal is going to mean different things to different people but if you actually have very outcome focused product goals you tie them to very outcome focused sprint goals that is really powerful um, but that's a huge shift and that's uh, most organizations are not really ready for that. Or there's like a long journey that they have ahead of them to actually 
understand why that is such a big shift not just like yeah, okay we'll just talk about outcomes but like what that entails and what all the, whole, the all the consequences um usually that's something that they're not really aware of in the beginning do you feel that has something to do with the, the less tangible stuff that for instance uh, uh, an outcome is it's, it's it's a little bit less um crisp to most people um whereas getting a feature from here to here or or user story or whatsoever is very easy and very tangible it's it's kind of like what uh, for runners is that you have the runners high right that you get this dopamine shot if you are in a continuous thread or in a, in some specific state and that's kind of what i see with developers as well what i what i'd like to call the developers high when you get this dopamine shot dragging your user story from doing into done in jira um, how do you feel this relates That's a nice analogy, by the way. I hadn't heard of that before. That's a great one. Yeah. I just want to mention that I tried running. I never got the runners high. I was always waiting for it. It never happened. <laughs> I, and that's why I don't like running. I have to admit that I have this exercise program every morning. Before I do work, I do exercises. But I keep adding more exercises. <laughs> it's like every time I'm like, I'm going to switch out something with something else. So that you're not using the same muscles all the time. But I keep adding more and it's becoming longer and longer. So it's a nice example of this. Yeah. And, and I think it's a really great analogy. So what I do is I lift weights and I really like I'm really into nutrition and things like that. But it's so um, people often believe, for example, I lift weights, so then I'm going to look good. But the question always is, do you actually get the results that you're looking for? And if, if you don't get them, what do you need to change? And um, what I learned is that most people just, they are so stuck on repeating certain things that don't work, like the, the same diet over and over again, and then they crash, and then they eat more, and then they weigh more. Uh, and, and it's the same thing, I, I think, like in, in product development, Uh, that we just, yeah, we're so attached. But Christian, I think you wanted to say something. No, just to add to, to that metaphor is that in the book, we actually describe Scrum as a great way to do some organizational exercising. Um, so exercising is hard. You need discipline for it. It's going to be exhausting, especially the first few times you do it. You're going to have muscle cramps. It's the same with Scrum. Do it, Releasing a done increment every sprint, that's going to hurt. <laughs> And that's okay. Because every time it hurts, it's going to hurt in the right spots. Um, for example, it may hurt because your product owner is unable to make any decisions about what's on the product backlog. If you fix that, which will be probably painful because organizations are not used to that, um, but after that, it will become easier. Um, so I think the analogy with, with physical exercising is actually a really good one. Would you say then that being a little sadistic when you start with Scrum would help? Yeah, I think so. I think, well, what I always say to teams that I work with and, and Barry does too, and I think Johannes does too, is this is not going to be easy. It's going to hurt. Um, there's going to be some things very painfully transparent, like how we're not working together as a team and everyone's just putting their blinders on, working on their own stuff and what happens, what goes wrong because of that. But that's okay. I mean, those are the things that should hurt. Um, so let's let's just make sure those things hurt and then work together to... To, to stop it from hurting. I think that's, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a bit painful. That's okay. But that's something that we were kind of criticizing about a lot of books out there that it kind of sounds like you start doing the scrum, doing scrum and then all these great results come in, uh, but they don't mention 
all the work that it takes to get there and that often takes a long time and that's what it's supposed to be like it like you are supposed to start and then kind of realize oh this isn't working at all and then then that's good that's good then you can see what you need to fix and then you fix that uh and then you go on your journey and you improve uh but you know it's not like we're going to switch scrum from zero to one and then all the benefits come in uh that's that's not what it is now it's going to make the inefficiencies or ineffectivities in the organization very transparent indeed as you mentioned hey guys we're uh, nearing the end of the show now we had a little giveaway planned i think we could safely turn this around into the first reader or the first listener that responds to any of us gets what christian what do you what are we giving away we're giving away a book, to, of course, a copy of the Zombie Scrum Survival Guide, but there's also a first aid kit included. Now, as we already said, some, uh, working with Scrum is some kind of physical exercising for your organization. So the first aid kit is there to help you take away some of the pains that you may run into. Um, it contains a bunch of exercises that you can do with your team and with your stakeholders. And it ties very well into what we also talk about in the book. So that's the giveaway that I think we have planned for, for the podcast. Exactly. Um, and as an addition, it's an assigned copy, right? It's a signed copy. Yes, absolutely. Um, fun story, because of COVID, we couldn't get together when we <laughs> did. So we actually got a whole r roll of tape and we started, we wrote uh, all our signatures on it, send it around from Germany to the Netherlands and well, it was a lot of fun. So. <laughs> it worked. The, it worked. The, these kind of situations like COVID do tend to get um, the best out of the creativity of people. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Hey, as a last question to both of you, what's the last or the best book that you've ever or recently read? Johannes, what's what's on your mind? Um, let me let me just take a second. I read so much. Uh, I I think I've read already. Have read twenty books this year. So oh, wow. <laughs> I, I let, let me just think a sure. second. I got one. Um, I've recently reread uh, Images of Organization by Morgan, um, and it's it's a classic. It's a really it's a quite a well-known book. It's not about Agile. It's not about Scrum. It's about organizational design or basically ways to understand organization um, and what organizations are. And it's really influential. It's been really influential in, in, um, in, all, field, in all sorts of fields. But I think it's also very helpful to read if you're in, uh, in the Agile community, in the Agile space. It really helps you understand different ways to think of organizations. Sounds interesting. It's very cool. It's really very cool. All right, so this is impossible to do, but I'm just going to highlight one book. Um, one book that I really enjoyed was The Four Disciplines of Execution. Um, it was recommended to me after I described to someone I know uh, the way that I um, I do a lot of strategy consulting with organizations because I'm, I'm very interested in like when people pretend to be agile, how does strategy fit in there and like what can we do to really create that frame for for agility within organizations um and and so what i liked about that book was that it's so focused on outcomes first of all but also on the execution so it's not just you know making creating some kind of strategy powerpoint presentation but um creating a cadence for people to come together to set realistic goals uh and then everybody working towards 
very specific outcomes uh and i i re i can actually recommend it i think it's it's one of those books that doesn't talk about agility but is exactly in that spirit and it's going to help a lot of people uh you know creating that kind of yeah like i said frame or um something around just team level agility and it sounds like it really ties back to the whole point of um zombie scrum removal right yeah um and i mean so in our book what we focused on was um or the book is intended for an audience of people who feel stuck in a system and they don't have the power to change the whole system um and that's why the experience in the book are really lightweight and people can try them right away without having to ask other people for permission or anything but um there's a lot to be done around that so um like we talked about creating the right environment um and that's that's maybe not completely covered in the book so we were thinking about like additional content that we could provide to people um and that would definitely be an area um you know apart from the team level uh and, and individual people and organizations what what else can you do to kind of create an environment in which uh healthy scrum can actually thrive yeah perfect gentlemen i thank you very much for this enjoyable discussion thank you for having <laughs> thank us thank you so much it's great and there you have it zombie scrum in organizations how to treat it how does it look like and what can we do about it Thank you for listening. This has been Mastering Agility. This has been one of the episodes in the series. So please feel free and do listen to the other episodes as well. If you have any comments, feedback, questions or specific mentions, feel free to reach out to either me on LinkedIn, Johannes Chateau on LinkedIn or Christian Verwijs on LinkedIn. Or you can visit the website of the Liberators, the Zombie Scrum Survival Guide or AgilityMasters.com. Looking forward to hearing from you and until the next episode.